Good morning and welcome to the latest Football Digest podcast. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Blimey, I think I've already put Matt Dunn asleep there in the bottom corner. Uh, looked like you're do- nodding off, Matt. I, uh, I hope I don't have that effect on you throughout the whole show. But anyway, joining me this morning is Andy Dunn, Chief um, Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, uh, Chief uh, Sports Writer of the Daily Star, and Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado, um, of the Daily <laughs> Express, who's still, well, got, his, name, still got his head down. <laughs> oh, apologies, Matt. I think he's having some technical difficulties. So he's, oh, uh, see, he's working, working, working hard at that. I was getting, <laughs> was getting seriously concerned, Matt, about I'm not, my. I'm not sure he'll last a full ninety minutes. Sparkle. Yeah, yeah the, basically, how on earth not, you got to last sixty seconds? How on earth you uh, make a sub? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. how, how on earth you're going to get through the next sixty minutes? Right. So anyway, I'm pleased to say that. Matt will hopefully be rejoining us shortly after his technical issues. Um, but guys, what a incredible week. Honestly, football should never surprise us, should it? But I mean, the, the quality, I think, and the drama of the two Champions League games on the back of um, really unprecedented scenes at Old Trafford on Sunday. Uh, the Man United fans oh. protesting um, before causing the game to be postponed against Liverpool. And really, the Super League issue is not going away, is it? So how do how does football move forward from that? How do the big six move forward from that? It is a really interesting time. We'll look at Jose Mourinho's return to football management. Blimey, 15 days since... Uh, uh, since he left the last one, people talk about the sort of the special ones' powers uh, are fading, are fading, uh, failing as well, uh, and yet clubs are still queuing up to, to to get him, and he's gone off to Roma. But listen, let's start with the Champions League, um, guys, shall we? And what a game last night! I, I was actually going to cross to Matt, so we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll have to sort of kind of because uh, he he was there at Stamford Bridge. Um, but really, uh, you know, it was it was amazing for everyone to see, wasn't it? Really, um, Jeremy, what did you what did you make of it? And what kind of you know, uh, Chelsea now making up this incredible all English final, second in three years in Istanbul. What did you make of the game last? Yeah, time? look, it was a thoroughly thoroughly deserved win for Chelsea. They dominated Real Madrid last night as they did in the first half in Madrid. Obviously, they laid the foundations for for going through in Madrid last week. And they were even better, I thought, last night. I mean, quite frankly, they could have won four or five nil. I know you were there, Crossy, and um, they, they were so wasteful in front of goal. Um, but Madrid, you know, for all their talent in that team, they looked really, really average last night. It looked an ageing team. Ramos came back, um, was embarrassed, quite frankly. Uh, they were absolutely all over the shop in the last half an hour at the back. And you're not going to win anything with a defence as, uh, as disorganised as that. Hazard came back, obviously, clearly wasn't fit. He's not. He's missed so much of the season. Um, he was a passenger, really, for the full 90 minutes. Well, he got taken off towards the end. But um, so he was a very, very disappointing to see him um, not really make an impact. But Chelsea were fantastic. You know, they they are a rare, really, really well-drilled team. They absorbed the pressure. Um they allowed Madrid to have most of the possession, and they just hit them on the break with the speed of um, of Havertz and Werner. And Werner and Werner was, you know, look, he got his goal. Anyone could have converted that one, but that that will give his confidence such a lift. But he was a real handful last night with his pace and his direct running. Um, 
and they were they thoroughly deserved to go through. And it just it just really was another notch on um, on the bedpost for uh, for Tuchel in terms of how what a remarkable transformation he's made at Chelsea since um, since he replaced Super Frank. So you know they they're going from strength to strength, and they will be a real handful. Real handful for the city in the final. It should be a cracking game, though. Yeah, I like your um, like your comparison there. Not on the bedpost. <laughs> <laughs> and it's ninety nine days since Tuchel took over from Super Frank. Ninety nine days in which he's taken Chelsea to the brink of the top four. Uh, he's got them to an FA Cup final and now European Cup final as well. What a job! Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely remarkable. He's um, that was a sort of thrust of my rewrite last night when you sit there and sort of take in what they just done, Chelsea. Yeah, this was a team of youngsters that were supposed to be building over the next couple of years into a team capable of achieving the tops in the game, uh, and suddenly here they are in a Champions League final. And the, the transition has been remarkable. You know, I was lucky. I was the opposite side of the ground to you last night, John. I think. Um, uh, but I was sat right behind where all the uh, Chelsea players, all the substitutes sit uh, and make a hell of a racket and a noise of trying to fill that stadium with a bit of atmosphere. But when Mason Mount came off uh, very late on, having scored his goal, it was great because he was yards in front of me and you could see how much it meant. The excitement, the boyish excitement. That's what you want your football team players to look like when they've just achieved something like that, you want them to be as excited as you are as fans. He couldn't believe he was in a Champions League final uh, and he was being you know, s- surrounded by Callum Hudson and Doyle, Tammy Abraham, the youngsters that, though, that had grown up in that club together. And it was just a joyous moment to realise that these are, these are kids still effectively who've just achieved, achieved something remarkable that they only ever dreamed of doing. And he was the reality. And fair play to Tuchel to, to instil that sort of discipline that they showed last night. Uh, and I have to say, Kante again was absolutely superb in being mm. popping up everywhere where Real Madrid didn't want him to be. Uh, and, and somehow he just seems to be getting everyone playing to their strengths uh, and, and making them look the part because definitely Chelsea were the best team, not just in the first leg, but in the second leg as well eventually. Yeah, it was amazing. I must say, yeah. everyone had so much love. A- Andy, you wrote about Kante, didn't you? Yes. I, I, I was. I went into bat for Rudiger. I thought Rudiger was immense, you know. But yeah. basically, Kante has just been phenomenal the last few weeks, isn't he? And, you know, your piece absolutely yeah. detailed that. It was, it was almost a love letter and appreciation of, of this incredible player. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the thing is about, I mean, listen, I mean, it goes without saying that, you know, I mean, and bear in mind, we... We talk about, you know, there's a lot of talk this morning about, oh, you know, Real Madrid and aging side and so many players over 30. You know, Kante's over 30. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Engalo Kante turned 30. I think back in March, you, you know, he, he's no spring chicken in, in football in terms. Yeah, I think he's man, I think he's been managed well by Tuchel, who obviously didn't start him against, um, was it Fulham at the weekend? Um you know, and he will have to manage him over the next, you know, couple of seasons. I think one one of the reasons why I think Kanti might have gone off, you know, the boil at some stage was because there was too much being asked of him, and you know, he, 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 there was, you know, he was has to do too too much during a game and too many times. 
And I think if he's managed carefully, you, you know, it, it'd obviously be just a fantastic asset um, to Chelsea. But, you know, I, I wrote about Kante. A lot of people wrote about Kante, and he, and he was obviously excellent. But then, in a way, it was, it was much the same as Man City the previous night. You could have picked out... Rudiger, as you well say, to write about. You could have picked out Mason Mount to write about. I could have picked out Timo Werner. Had I not written about him in the first leg, I would have written about him last night and about <laughs> how he is unfairly maligned, you know, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, you know, I thought he was outstanding last night. I was a little bit surprised he's taken off. Stats. He doesn't those miss those stats. Any, does he? He, he those never stats misses those stats. Yes. yes. Have you seen those stats? I mean, it's astonishing. Yeah. He, he's basically oh. 22 goals he's been directly involved in this season. Yes. And and more for me, you're right to raise it in that basically that's more than any other Chelsea player. 12 goals, 10 assists. That yes. is incredible. That yes, is, I, I, a, you know, and he'll score. Maybe you know, he should have had 50, but hey, wow. You know, and, and we have this in, you know, unfortunately, a, a, a lot of. A lot of the comments on him, uh, you know, in this country is based on the fact that I, I'm sorry, but you know, it doesn't help that he's not an English striker because last night he was absolutely hammered for, you know, going half a yard offside when he scored that goal. You know, that was obviously disallowed, um, spotted by the assistant referee, and it was as though, like, you know, I don't know, it was, it was, it was some sort of heinous crime. Well, his momentum just took him there. It was a great run. Good finish, and he'd strayed a little bit offside. But you know, the 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 English pundits absolutely hammered him for it. You know, and it's as though people can't wait for Timo Werner to miss another chance. I don't know why. Um, I think he was superb last night. So I could have written about him. I could have written about Mason Mount. I could have written about Jorginho, who, who I thought was equally, yeah, almost equally effective in midfield as Kante. And that's that's the measure of Chelsea's performance. In the same way that you could have done exactly the same the previous night about Manchester City. You could have written about Ruben Diaz, you could have written about Carl Walker, um, John Stones, you, you know, Riyad Mahrez. It was a very, very good team performance. What I would say is is that, is that I, and I get all the, you know, I, I like the idea, you know, Matt's saying about, you know, this wonderful sort of like, it makes it sound almost romantic and sort of like, you know, some sort of fairy tale. But it's not. Chelsea have just spent heavily. I mean, Chelsea have spent heavily over the last over the last couple of seasons. Well, come on, you, you, you know, as as a Man City, you know, you're bringing Pulisic off the bench, sixty million pound player. You know, you've got half Havertz lined up. You you spent. Chelsea have invested. Chelsea, Manchester City are in the final of the Champions League because they have invested better than any other two clubs in Europe and more heavily than other clubs. It's as simple as that. Well, you know, yes, you need to. It, it needs to go. In terms of, you know, coaching, I think they've been brilliant, Guardiola and Tuchel. The players have been great. But let's not get, you know, this idea that, again, it was it was something that was going on after the game about how great this made English clubs. Well, actually, it, it, it means we're in a far healthier position in terms of what English clubs can spend on players. And Chelsea have done that. And this is a reward for for continuing investments by investment by Roman Abramovich in the same way that cities is a reward for continuing investments by Sheikh Mansour. And that's what, and that's, you know, Chelsea do have a fantastic squad. They had a fantastic squad under Frank Lampard. You know, Tuchel walked into a squad that was ready-made in terms of the personnel, not ready-made in terms of the way it had been coached and managed for the first half of the season. And that's why he's doing such a fantastic job. Mm. Isn't it partly a reward for investing well? Yes, investing well and investing heavily. He's still investing mm. heavily. You know, he yeah. can still afford to. I, have, I just look at Andy. I mean, Arsenal's, Arsenal's a great example. Oh, they have spent a lot of money. They have spent yeah. a lot of money, and they've spent it largely 
badly. Yes. I mean, Ruben Diaz isn't the most expensive defender in the world, but he was pricey. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but what they, a player. Yeah, but they can. Yeah, well, what a player. I mean, I mean, yes, he's he's done very well, Diaz. I, I'm giving. You that. I've seen your video of why you're voting for him for Football of the Year, and and, and it's <laughs> very convi- very convincing. I've ignored it, but very convincing. <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is, when you say yes, he's a good buy, and he didn't cost a lot, a lot of money. But Nathan Ake cost a lot of money, and he and and, and he barely plays. Mm. You, you mm. know, they afford Benjamin Mendy cost a lot of money, and he barely plays. America cost a lot of money, and he's mm. now not the best choice. So City can go to Crystal Palace, where I was at on Saturday. They can send out Laporte, Mendy, and Nathan Ake at a combined mm. cost of I don't know 150 million quid. As their reserve backup, and that's where, and, and hence benefiting the first team who then take to the field against Paris Saint Germain. Yes, investing well, but investing heavily, so you can have a pool of sick on the bench. You know, so Kai Havertz doesn't play every game. It's it, it, it's it, it's investing well, agreed, and you know, often, but they are still investing heavily, and these two clubs are still reaping the rewards. It's why English football could have all four teams. Let's face it, in the finals. Of whatever United heavily invest, Arsenal heavily invest, as you say, and because we are essentially the Premier League is we are the rich men of Europe. There's no getting away from it. Yeah, Matt, Matt, I just want to ask you one one more thing about Chelsea before we move on to City, which is that Chelsea took so much criticism, didn't they, in 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 January, changing another manager. I get this this splashback largely because they were sacking a legend and replacing him with Thomas Tuchel. Not so much about reply, you know, Tuchel for Lampard, but it, you know it doesn't sit easy with us, does it? It, it? In English football, for whatever reason, the clubs changing their managers, you know, as regularly as I don't know, revolving door policy, I called it, and, and basically it's uh, it justifies Abramovich met- Abramovich's methods, isn't it? I mean, it's another final; they've got another final, and. Does it sit in easier with you? Do, do, do we accept it? Do we move on with it? Is it is it palatable? Is it is it you know is it the done thing now? It works for Chelsea. It, it does, but in the same way, uh, managers aren't held in the same regard on the continent as they are in this country. You look at someone like Jose Mourinho, who whips into into Milan, wins a couple of Scudetta, dumps the uh, Champions League on top of it, uh, and then walks away to another job. Um, job done and, and there's happy he'll be a part of their history but he won't be the focus of their history you look at the big names in my, uh, English managerial history Fergie Brian Clough Bill Shankly um, Arsene Wenger they're all people who stayed at the same club for a number of years by which you know, not two or three we're talking about decades built a, a legacy uh, and that's what you know we talk about legacy fans these days don't we but, but that's what we like in oh, this country is the legacy and you talk about eras. Mm. Three years isn't an era. You know, you need to have that longevity to be a successful manager. We will talk about the Guardiola era of Manchester City because he's gone there. The Klopp era, we're, we're getting onto that kind of longevity. But that's what we love in this country. We, we want people to, managers mainly, to define a period in our club's history uh, <laughs> that we can all hark back to in years to come when nobody's winning anything and the new kids on the block are ever spending the most again. Uh, and that's the secret for managers. If you want that, and I think this is why Guardiola stayed as long as he has, is because I think he gets something in terms of appreciation that he didn't get, perhaps, 
you know, after he left. But he didn't get it, wasn't going to get it at Bayern Munich. And Barcelona, there's no real culture of that long-term, you know, managerial sort of entity. So, yeah, it's what you like. And we don't like the fact that, that managers are kicked out quickly because you've got to give them a chance. Uh, and that English managers are, are lucky in that regard because some, some of them get over that initial hurdle, like Fergie, who wouldn't have survived four years, his first four years on the continent. Um, but then you, you reap the benefits and everyone's hoping that, that we ever, you know, Frank Lampard was going to do that. But, you know, if you want those trophies to keep coming in, perhaps you do need to find that formula a little bit more quickly because the money's going to run out quicker than the sort of managerial goodwill. Yeah. Matt, though, now, you, why do you, why do you have to give them a chance? I mean, what, what if you? Well, that's what I'm saying. Perhaps that's if you want the trophies now. If you appoint someone and six months later you think, you know what, I've made a big mistake here, you should be entitled to get rid of that person. It's like buying a car, isn't it? If you buy a car and you don't realize you don't like it after a few months, you swap mm-hmm. it for something else. Is that something you're doing, Crossy? I was going to say, Jeremy, do you know that? Do you know that experience? Um, <laughs> the other thing about longevity is the other thing about longevity is while it was remarkable to see how long Wenger and Fergie lasted at their respective clubs and all the success they had was wonderful. Look at the state of those two clubs now in terms of how they struggle to, you know, replace those two guys and, and continue that success. They've both failed miserably since then. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. All that criticism that Matt used to you know, plundered Arsene Wenger's way. God, blimey. Never well, finished below six. Made the that. Champions League for about 20 consecutive years. Never outside of Europe. Now look at him. Wow. Anyway. anyway. But no, no, just, 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 just quickly on, on that point, Jeremy. You know, I, I totally agree, you know, and that's what Chelsea do. But it depends on if you just think football, if you if you only think football is about winning, then fine. You know, that's, that's the thing. If it comes down to, you know, I, I agree with Matt. I, I like the idea that, that you, you can build a, a legacy. I like the idea that you can develop a relationship with the supporters of a club. I mean, we've, we've, we've gone on about during the, during the Super League fiasco, how many times did, we, did, did people say, well, you know, football is about the fans. Football is, is, is more clubs belong to the community. You know, they're not just things that, that like, if, if you don't win, then you just been, been someone because of that, I don't think. And, and, you know, you learn a lot about a manager who you might build up a relationship with when they're not winning. You, you, know, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this goes now with Klopp, who's going through not a great time now at Liverpool, but he'll still be he'll still be like, you know, um, idolised by Liverpool fans. He still has that relationship with Liverpool fans. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, you've got every right to chat. And Abramovich, you know, does what he does, you know, and, and, and you know, we won't have, but you won't have areas. You won't have the Scolari area or the Sari era, as he's me to say, but... You know, I just do. I do think if if we if we claim that football clubs are not just businesses to be run purely for commercial success, then on the same point is it makes it a bit odd if you just actually change someone because you're not a commercial success. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, the thing is, well done. They'd be, they'd be yeah. unwise, unwise to change a legend as they did in Frank Lampard. If but anyway, win, Jeremy, I do, just say, go on, if go Chelsea win the go Champions on. League on, in Istanbul, mm. will you be able to find one Chelsea fan anywhere in the world who would say, you know what, big, big mistakes after Frank? Frank. No, I'll, I'll, I'll find a few of my colleagues who'll say that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have him back in some job by the way. Very good. <laughs> Jeremy, right, yes. I want to come to you because basically you were at the Etihad Tuesday, weren't you? Yep. And you were described to me as being the wettest journalist that, that, that <laughs> they've ever, ever seen going to going to the game. 
Well, I was yeah, all right. I had an umbrella. <laughs> I had an umbrella. Oh, gee, I was prepared for the summer hailstorm. No, it was bizarre. It was a bizarre. <laughs> from the car to the ground. It was a stormy night off the pitch and a stormy night on it. I mean, um, it was fast and furious and fantastic for City. Um, it was like a repeat, actually, of the week before when, you know, PSG just imploded in the second half. It was shambolic. It was all that was bad about them that we've seen down the years in terms of them being described as flaky and not in the stomach for a fight. I mean, um, they finished with 10 men again for the second time in six days when Demiria got sent off for stamping on Fernandinho, who actually provided a masterclass of, of winding winding him up. In fact, he was at it all night, Fernandinho. It was, Fully justified his selection ahead of Rodri in um, in that older midfield role. He was wonderful. There were too many players. I mean, like Chelsea last night, every City player was really at the peak of their game on mm. Tuesday night. Um, you know, you couldn't find a weakness with them. Um, they realised the the magnitude of it all, and they all rose to the occasion. Even like I know Dunny mentioned a few mm. Stones and Diaz were immense at the back. Mm. Zinchenko was brilliant at left back. Um, Kyle Walker was good. They, they, were, they were all good. Foden was sensational again. You know, don't care where you play him. You've just got to start him for England when the Euros start. Just give him any shirt. Just give him a shirt and play him. He's got to start that, that tournament. So, yeah, they were thoroughly deserved winners. Um, you know, it felt like a watershed moment for City in terms of the mental hurdle of getting over that sort of knockout, big knockout win, getting to the final. I know Beppel see his job, job half done, obviously, no one remembers a runner-up, do they? Um, you know, and he's got to go and win it now. The same for Chelsea, you know, finish great getting to the final. It's a great achievement, but unless you win it, it's it's pretty meaningless in the long run. So, um, so much at stake in that final. But yeah, they were they were great. You know, Mares mm. took his goals really well. Um, could have been worse for Pochettino, to be honest. Um, and when you think about what he's facing in the next uh, ten days or so, you know, he's got two huge games there. Uh, in terms of trying to salvage something from what's turning into a disastrous season for, for, for him there. They feel like, you feel like they've gone one step backwards this season, PSG. So yeah, yeah. they've got two huge games coming up in the Cup and the league to try and, try and win something, basically. If he finishes potless there, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not great, is it? It's, that Dunny keeps saying, you can't, you can't win Ligue 1 with PSG. Farmers League. There's something wrong. So yeah, oh, look, it was right. great to see City get to the final. It felt like their holy grail moment and, um, you know, it's, it's all set up for a great, great finale. Now. The irony with PSG, as we mentioned before, is they sacked a manager capable of getting to the Champions League final. Yeah. Yes. Well, he so, qualified them already, hadn't he, through the stages? Yeah, that, that, it yeah. does make it slightly odd. Yeah. Yeah, Jeremy, just coming back to you on City, because you, 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 you cover them a lot and you see them a lot. You know, it's five years in the making this Champions League final. Well, thirteen years, really. Yes, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I guess I'm talking sort of Guardiola terms. Yeah. Uh, since Guardiola took charge, I, I look at it as if they've had two Guardiola teams. Really, I see this as a not evolved, you know, completely, but it's it's a sort of a second generation thing. What fascinating! I mean, I I just think they're playing some sensational stuff the other night was a disciplined team performance wasn't it it wasn't necessarily yeah. about the sort of absolute flair and blow away stuff really I, I mean I just love Guardiola I love watching Guardiola teams and, and the two generations are you know are just a, you know just a wonderful wonderful watch and you know English, brilliant for English football 
Is this better than the last one? Um, it's a different side. It's difficult to compare teams, isn't it? You know, you had how many teams mm. did Fergie, Fergie generate down those two decades or more at Old Trafford, and you can't. It's impossible to compare them because you know they are different qualities. But essentially, this team really has no weakness. I think the key moment for me was in Paris last week when they when they did go behind. In the last two or three years, that team would have folded probably and not not made it through. Uh, but they made a sterner stuff. They seem to have this calmness and belief that they can, they can actually take on the best in Europe and, and, and beat them now. So they're unstoppable, really. I mean, I'm sure Tuchel will come up with a plan to to to, to, to prove me wrong. But you know, um, that, yeah, they're they're a relatively young side too. So um, you know, you can't see them uh, not dominating for the next two or three years at least, as long as Guardiola is happy to stay there. I suppose the issue will be if he goes on and wins the Champions League later this month, that's job done, really. And the only thing he can do from that then onwards is add more layers to the cake, really. But um, so, you know, it has been a long time coming and, you know, they've they've, they've fallen down in the past in some embarrassing defeats in Europe. But mm. um, the, 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 I think they've used that as a collective and it's now a force for good and it's, it's driving them on. Yeah. Andy, what do you think? I think um, it'd be great if he stayed after this, win or lose. Um, I think it'd be, you know, great. You know, we love watching his teams play football. And I would love to see him do another two, three years, as we referenced before, that then it would become, you know, a Guardiola legacy. It would become the Guardiola mm. era. We don't expect him to stay for, you know, the 20 odd years of Ferguson and Wenger. But, you know, he's, listen, I, I, I suspect he's stayed. He yes, but I suspect he's, 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 he's actually hung around longer than. Than many of us thought, and he might, and he might fancy, you know. I mean, he clearly loves winning the Premier League. He's going to win it again. I'm sure he loves to win it again and again. And actually, if he looks round, he probably thinks, you know what? Because as good as City have been this season, I mean, let's get one thing straight. There's been some fairly ropey stuff in opposition to them. Let's let you know. Let, let let's not have this. You know, there's no easy games in the Premier League, and every game's tough. Blah blah blah. It's not. There've been some fairly fairly weak performances against City. Some of their biggest rivals have had very indifferent seasons. We're talking Liverpool, we're talking Arsenal, we're talking Spurs. You know, United are a clear second, you know, and I can't remember ever being overly impressed by United, yet they're still a clear second. I think that tells you all you need to know. It tells you all you need to know. Listen, City, you know, they've scored, I think it's 119 goals in all competitions, and we keep saying they need a striker. But you know why I think they probably do need a striker? However, they can get away with it, you know, because they've got such a... Um, and so, such a, 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 um, a whole field of alternatives in the way they play, but also because in the Premier League, you know, it, it hasn't been that tough. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, th- I think I think people have been um, opposition hasn't been great this season. City have been magnificent. You know, to put on that spell of games, um, you know, to win so many games on the spin, um, they've been sensational. Um, so, so Guardiola might look at this and think, well, well, hang on a minute. Certainly Chelsea are now going to be going forward, you would think, a live threat. United are improving. So it'll be a bigger challenge next season. I think, mm-hmm. I think it'll, be, it'll be, be quite up to that. I, I really do. I think, you know, he seems to enjoy it. He seems to enjoy the atmosphere, you know, in terms of, you know, the attention um, surrounding the Premier League. He seems to enjoy the way it's played. He certainly has a good squad. I think his biggest challenge... I think it's really interesting moving forward after this season. I think his biggest challenge will be, I mean, 
he's been very lucky in the sense that his squad has been, I mean, basically pretty much fully fit for the entire season. Aguero had a long-term injury. De Bruyne was out for a bit, wasn't he? Nathan Ake um, was out, out of the eighth-choice centre-half, was out for a bit. So you, you think, you know, he's actually been very fortunate that he's had a fully fit squad. And a lot of games, and, and I was at Sellers Park where, you know, most of that team that played against PSG, probably off the top of my head, eight of them, um, were all on the bench. Um, and so he's very lucky to be able to do that. However, how do you, his biggest challenge is how do you keep these players happy? How is he going to keep Raheem Sterling happy when Raheem Sterling is now no longer an automatic choice for the first 11? In fact, you would have him down maybe as behind uh, Foden, certainly, behind Mares, certainly, behind De Bruyne, certainly, behind Bernardo, to. So maybe he's fifth in the pecking order. So how do you keep Raheem Sterling happy? And what do you do about a new contract? How do you keep Imeric Laporte happy, who arguably was their best defender last season? I mean, and was talked about as one of the best defenders in Europe, and now he can't get into the first team. How do you keep these type of players, these quality of players happy? It's okay having a squad of... And, and listen, the, the trick is, is he seems to have done it. He seems to have done it. But you know what's funny, Jeremy, at the Etihad, where we sit, obviously, is right behind the the substitutes, where the substitutes now are scattered around, you know. And and I always look at them and I always think to myself, you know, some look, let's put it this way, some look happier than others to be on the bench or some look less angry to be on the bench. And yep. Raheem Sterling, you know, really, I mean, you can tell he's really angry not being in that starting lineup and good yeah. on him. And so he should yeah. be. Other players I'm looking around, I see Eric Garcia there a couple of times a season. I think, well, yeah, it's clearly just not bothered. You know, he's, he's going to move anyway. He's also, so I yeah. think that's going to be I think that's going to be one of the fascinating narratives of next season is how does Guardiola, especially if he actually recruits, you know, more players, he's got to sell mm. anyway, you would assume. How does he keep that squad happy? And motivated. My, my, and motivated. Yeah, my yes. only thing about that. Where does Raheem go from here, Don? Well, he's got two years left, isn't he, in the summer? Yes, and he's looking for a new deal, isn't he? He's looking for a new deal. For and, big money? And basically, for big money, obviously. But, you know, in normal circumstances, you'd say half of Europe would be chasing after him. Mm. But we're in the midst of a global pandemic. You wonder whether there's a big money market for him. Mm. You wonder whether, you know, how desperate City will be in terms of financially to keep him. Honestly, in terms of... I, I personally can see why the form's dropped off. Because the form has dropped off. Because he's worried, genuinely worried, what's my next move? Mm. I, I love Raheem Sterling. I love him as a player, as an individual. I think he's a great, you know, a terrific role model, leader, icon, brilliant player. But I tell you what, last few months not been right. I think he's thinking about, people underestimate, I think, sometimes, you know, you can take one, you know, me and Matt spoke to Aubameyang yesterday on the Arsenal pre-match press conference. Mm. This is a player, world-class striker at his best, and he's been way off it this season because he's had other distractions and big distractions, albeit. And what you know, but it takes one percent to to throw a player, I think. And then basically, yeah. I think that's what's happened with with Sterling. Yes. There's no doubt about um, it because I think a Sterling at his best starts for City. I do. Yes. The only thing I think, in counterance to your argument, and I totally understand that. You know, it's a great shout. But how do you keep him happy? Is Mm. Mares is the antidote to that because yeah. you know I was driving to Chelsea yesterday listening to ridiculous ridiculous phoning about is Mares underrated well of course he's not 
How can you possibly say that? He's not been underrated when he when he wasn't playing well enough or consistently enough to be picked. Mm. Now he is playing well enough to be picked. He's great. But that's not being underrated. You only have to watch football and use your own eyes. Yeah. Don't get lured into this ridiculous, easy underrated. What? Because it, you know, you finally noticed him. Well, more for you. He's been, he's a great player. Who won the you know title with Leicester in in 2016, and then basically he's never you know in, you know unhappy sort of parting from Leicester when it, when frankly he just didn't show up for the last while. But he's been great for you know for City and Patches, no more so than this season. So, you know, it's a bit it's a bit bonkers. But look, Matt, I just just to move it on, we've got a dress rehearsal this weekend of the European Cup final, the Champions League final, Istanbul at the Etihad. Can Chelsea need the win, by the way, don't they, for top four? It's still, still a live battle. And then basically also, I just feel as if that's every cup semi-final win will help Chelsea's mentality. How big a game is this on Saturday? And equally, a Chelsea, you know, a real big threat to City's Champions League dream? Um, second one first. Uh, yes, they're a threat to Champions League, the Champions League dream because they've shown they, they've beaten a Pep Guardiola team in, in the FA Cup that he put in front of them. Uh, and he just has an incredible way to of, of finding the weaknesses. Um, he doubled up against Real Madrid on certain players uh, and they didn't like it. And, and he finds a way of playing in a style that City won't like. So on a one-off game, he's always got a chance of, of nicking that one. So for once, I think an All-English final won't stink out the entire continent like mm. he has done in the past. That's an absorbing fixture. What's equally interesting is the mind games that go into the team selection this weekend, because you're right, he Tuchel's brought in to get them in the top four. This is a lovely bonus that, that he's doing with the, the two cup finals. But that's his job. Uh, and so he has to go all out to win uh, and, and keep in front of the chasing pack because it is getting tight up there now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so he has to play a strong team. Guardiola doesn't, but then they also want to get the title wrapped up. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I don't think he'll go as sort of left field as he did in the FA Cup with his selection, but I don't think he'll be the full strength team because I don't think he'll want to show all of his cards. So, um, you know, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal, but it isn't. It's, I think a few little things will be worked out by the two managers, a few things tried. But but make no bones about it, both teams will want to win this game. Um, and so it'll be competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think it, but I think it'll be a completely different game between the two because that last showpiece um, at the end of the season is that's all hell for leather when it all costs. Yeah. Uh, and this is just a little bit more intriguing. And I think after the come down, after what happened last night for Chelsea, it's going to be hard for them to match the intensity. So yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to see. But but no, the the, the mouthwatering one's the big one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just just coming back to that. Sorry, John, but sure. just coming back to that, I, I think that, that those team selections are going to be fascinating on Saturday. I can't wait um, to go and watch that on Saturday. It, you know, now there's something really on it. Like City can win the title, so thank you know. I mean, it could have been gone had Liverpool played Man United and won there mm. last Sunday. Now you've got a title decided at your your own stadium, which will be fantastic. But as Matt says, Guardiola doesn't need to play his strongest team, but I think he will want to play a strong team to get over the line. Um, even though then he's got three chances next week when United play three league games, obviously, in, in a few days. 
But I think what 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 Guardiola will do. I think what's interesting. Is he keeps mentioning. Do you notice he keeps mentioning how? And this is going back to what we were just discussing a couple of minutes ago. He keep he keeps mentioning about how sad he is for the players who aren't playing. You, you know, it's the first thing he said. You know, mm. on um, Tuesday night, and and it, and it's what he said last week at Salers Park. And I do think he will play these players in the last remaining league games. I saw, So you will see Aguero start against Chelsea in this game coming up on Saturday. You won't see him start well in the Champions League final. You'll see Aguero start. You'll probably see Jesus start. You'll yeah. probably see Benjamin Mendy start. You know, um, without a doubt, you'll see Laporte start because I think is John Stone still suspended. I'm not sure. Um, yes. At, yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he was certainly... He gets three sure. games that offence against Villa, doesn't he? So... so yeah. Um, he did the yes, he did the Carabao Cup game and the Palace game. So, um, you know, and you'll see this type of player start. You'll see probably, you know, maybe not Cancelo because he he also does play in big games as well. And Rodri and Fernandino switch, but he's used to Guerrero, Laporte, Mendy, that type of player. I think he'll play in these in these final league games. So it won't be the team that he will send out. The team that he will send out against Chelsea is presumably very similar to the one there played against PSG. So you won't see that team. But it, it, even so, it will be, you know, it's just going to be a fascinating game. Chelsea have to go, you know, have to go, you know, they've got mm. a tough run in. Um, and, mm. and other mm. sides, comparatively, teams like West Ham, for example, have got, I wouldn't say an easy run in, but, you know, they've got they've got four winnable games, West Ham, to, to, to try mm. and nick a top four slot. And Chelsea have got some, you know, tough games, not, not only, you know, so it, it, it is this game and, have they got Leicester as well, Chelsea? I'm not sure I might be yeah, wrong. Well, Chelsea got I think I, but Banker at home next Wednesday goes to Arsenal. <laughs> yes, well, they've got Arsenal as well. So, so the thing is, is that that makes it, you know, not a must win, but certainly they have to go all out for the win. So it should be absolutely, you know, I mean, fascinating game this Saturday, but not, but not Guardiola showing his Champions League hand. It will be, I think, four or five players. Oh, I'm sorry, and I forgot, Sterling will obviously play. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. No, no, it'll be interesting. Mind you, they're not Jezo, bad guys to bring in, are they? Yeah, no, they're not. They're not a bad B team. I mean, how about that finish from Aguero last Saturday? Oh, unbelievable! Mate, finish what the a, season. What unbelievable! A, what a what a player. I do feel a bit sad in in a way about Aguero because Aguero is one of the all time greats in the Premier League era. Yes, and I just ah. think the basic the, the last couple of seasons is it's just we've almost forgotten in in a way just how brilliant and great he has been. And I just think we, we need to get back to kind of celebrate those amazing memories because he is yeah. one of the absolute greats, you know, absolutely, you know, sensational. That, really. that's well, Jezo, I just want to, I just want to go to you about the, about the events at Old Trafford last Sunday, because what a seismic moment. I mean, blimey, I think you were stranded in the car park for hours, weren't you? And, um, you know, I thought that was, was um, on the crossbar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what an incredible day. I mean, really, it was, you know, it was an astonishing show of, you know, of force, wasn't it? And, 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 and passion and determination. No one's going to, you know, no one's going to condone the, the uh, violence in any way, uh, which we know about. But it, it equally, you know, United fans called for a peaceful protest. They largely got it, and it was a show of real defiance, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a seismic moment, really. I know it's 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 sort of been brought to a head by the Glazers' role in the um, 
proposed Super League plan. Um, United were heavily involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt like a tipping point because, you know, this was 16 years really of, of, of building frustration and anger towards the Glazers from United fans and it all sort of reached boiling point on Sunday. You know, like you said, no one condones fighting with police, police getting injured, arrests made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we have to make a point that the, the, the minority were involved in that and the majority went to Old Trafford on Sunday to, to make their point in a, in a calm manner. Um, so, yeah, it was one of those surreal afternoons, really. We managed to, we couldn't get in the ground to, to begin with. We all got there early just to see what would unfold. We never imagined what would unfold, did unfold. But, um and we were got when we eventually did get into the stadium, uh, into the compound, shall I say? We were just left in the car park, really, wondering what was going on. The helicopter, police helicopter, was doing laps of the stadium up above us. Uh, news started filtering through that fans had actually infiltrated the ground, got onto the pitch, nicked corner flags, swung on the goalposts, uh, organised an impromptu penalty shootout with one of the match balls. It was just absolutely, absolute madness. But ultimately, they achieved what they wanted to achieve uh, by either foul means or fair, and that was to disrupt the game. I think their ultimate plan was to just delay kickoff, but but the, you know they went the whole hog and actually got the game postponed for really for such a a massive, arguably the biggest game in the English football calendar. Well, it has been historically, mm. you know, for that to be postponed because of uh, fan power is a first. I can't recall that ever mm. happening before. Um, and I don't think United have come out with it with any credit whatsoever. They had a week, mm. at least a week, to prepare for this event, and they were clearly un, un, they were clearly un, not prepared for it. They didn't they underestimated the strength of the uh, the movement within the fans. Um, if you watch footage uh, on social media, stewards did little or nothing to to stop the the guys from charging in through there. The police really were quite lenient with them. So the Premier League have launched an inquiry. Um, that's ongoing. There could be sanctions against United. Now have to cram that game in um, before the end of the season. But look, I think the bigger picture is... Two clearly, days before the cup final now, isn't it, I think? Yeah, on the you Thursday. Yeah, so, so, yeah. Um, but look, the Glazers, the Glazers, the ironic thing is that... <laughs> All the poison is aimed at the people who weren't there. There, they were four thousand miles away in, in Palm Beach, in Florida. So, I know, I know, Avram got doorstep, didn't he, by Sky this week? Yeah. Um, just didn't say anything. Got into his car, drove off, and I thought that sort of summed up summed up the whole thing, the whole issue with the Glazers in terms of their public relations. Their grasp of public relations is is absolutely woeful, and you know, we saw the statement from Joel Glazer after the Super League collapse, saying we need to build rebuild a trust. There's never been any trust between the fans and the Glazers. The communication from them that filters down through United is so poor. It's just so poor. And I get why they're so frustrated. You know, the, the, the argument is that the Glazers actually, they only care about making money. They don't really care about winning things. And um, to fans, to diehard fans, that's unforgivable. So, yes, there were some ugly scenes, but yes, you know, it, it, it's a changing, it's a changing moment in the landscape because they'll grow, grow, take strength from that, and other club supporters mm. will do the same. So, you know, they will see that as a, a way of really making themselves be be noticed and and listened to in the future. 
Yeah, it was it was a real seismic moment. Does it? What happens now, Andy? Did, did because does that encourage fans to do it again, to do it more? Does, does the Premier League statement there sort of kind of you know the new charter that's incoming make an impact? What happens now? You know, because I mean, Arsenal fans are sort of kind of talking about you know another protest before tonight. Let's see if that happens. You know, they're being urged not to to get behind the team, but. You know, there's so much reflective anger, isn't there, over this? And You know, does that go away in in any sense? Well, there is reflective anger. I completely agree. What I would say is that it's localised, I mean, as as in specific club-wise. I mean, let's Mm. face it, there are going to be no protests at Chelsea and at Manchester City. It's it's almost... You know my conspiracy theory. It's it's almost as though though they've stitched the others up. You know, they, they, they somehow... You know, have escaped scot-free essentially from their supporters. You know, a man a kerfuffle at Chelsea early on, and that is it. You, you, you know, but that's not going to be the case at Manchester United. Bear in mind, Manchester United is also a very specific case where, as Jeremy has just so brilliantly outlined, is that is that their fans have been, you know, um, in opposition to the Glazers, has been that 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 seething discontent, simmering sometimes above the surface, sometimes under it, with the Glazers' ownership from the very moment that they took over. And the Super League fiasco basically has been the tipping point for Manchester United. Other clubs weren't at that tipping point. Chelsea were not at that tipping point. They had an owner they loved. They have an owner they loved. Mm. Manchester City, exactly the same. So that wasn't a tipping point. That was just, you know, the only reaction from then is, why the hell did we get involved in that? Oh, right, well, at least we're out of it quick now. Let's move on. That's not going to be the case of Manchester United. They are the most extreme. And I understand that because that... Because that is just final confirmation for them that Manchester United's owners were prepared to disregard the history, the tradition of a cup competition, the European Cup, that defines Manchester United as a club in so many ways. You know, so many ways, so many positive ways, so many tragic ways, so many, you know, and they were just prepared to bin that for a annual snout in the trough exhibition. And that is what. That is what really was the tipping point for these United fans. I fully understand that. It's not quite the tipping point for Liverpool fans because, and I come back to this, it's because mm-hmm. they were they they were okay with FSG before this happened. You know, there was no, there was no, there were little, you know, there were little problems with FSG. The ticket prices when they, you know, for, was for one. There have been there have been small sort of, um, you know. Um, moments, sorry, short moments of discontent with FSG, but nothing major. You know, the positives far outweighed the ne- negatives of John Henry's ownership. So Liverpool might not be as vociferous as United. And Arsenal, as you well know, you know, we're maybe even further down the line than, than Liverpool in the sense that, and closer to United. And Arsenal fans, you know, have not been, um, you know, um, positive about Kroenke for, for some time now. So I do think it's all going to be, Localized. I don't think you're going to see any any mass rebellion of Premier League fans, you know, across the board or across the you know the six clubs. Mm. But you will c- continue to see it with United, and, and and I fully fully understand why. Yeah, I thought it was a rather, rather ironic because we always talk about wanting kind of the history of foreigners sort of to be on the on the ground close to their clubs, you know, kind of English based or. <laughs> and yeah. then, I don't know whether you saw match of the day too. <laughs> Despite having a, you know thousands of fans in Manchester, rather than getting one of them to talk about the protests that they've been involved, they crossed live to a fan in Barcelona. 
an irony about it. Anyway, I mean, I guess it was a global game. It did make me laugh, but really, God, blimey. BBC producers' contact book might have been a little bit uh, more imaginative, shall we say. But just just, just, just (laughs) speak to a journalist actually in the protest. But there you go. Anyway. Even if if it's only from a cosmetic point of view, you you, you know, the the idea that, that, you know, that Chelsea have now come up with having a fan on the on the board well, brilliant board. that's a good idea yeah. I mean they've, they've listen, done listen. it wrong they've got it wrong so far but they're trying to address it Andy aren't they yeah. you know I've told you I've told you I think, I think, I think it was all a ruse from Chelsea Man City they're always going to come out make sure yeah. the others go in and then leave these two firefights and as it is Chelsea Man City happily sort of I mean their fact, you know, Manchester United fans stopped their team from actually playing you know Chelsea Man City fans are serenading their team all the way to the Champions League final, the FA Cup final, the Carabao Cup final has gone, and to a Premier League win, they'll they'll face the consequences. Chelsea and City, in what punishments are handed out by the authorities, but in terms of their own standing in their eyes of the fans, they are a waste got free. And, and I just find I just find the whole thing quite ironic. Uh, yeah, Andy, it's Matt, funny. Matt, I was we, there on, just on that point. I was there when the Petr Cech incident was uh, there, and in, in the space of an hour when it was announced that the whole ESL stuff was unravelling, Chelsea fans were saying, singing, we save football. Which I know. We save football. And that's in the sense of saving a drowning man by taking your foot off his head. Exactly. I mean, it's the same sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. But we, they were we, heroes all of a sudden. I, I mean, I mean we, say, we say football, which is, which you have to say could be in terms of ironic on so many levels. I mean, <laughs> let, 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 let's get that right. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Matt, I just we, we were together at um, wonderfully. It was so close we could almost hold hands. Socially distance, of course, at Tottenham on Sunday. But yeah, I don't know whether you were there. Yeah, just just before so we were allowed to go in an hour and a half before because I did get there a little bit early just to think. Blimey, you know, might might get some protests. Might be some noise below. Were you up on the upper podium? I can't remember where you I were, was, but the, yeah. there was some noise from down below, and I was thinking, blimey, you know, the Spurs fans <laughs> are sort of congregating there, and basically. There's going to be another protest. Sort of, if you of us, I'm sure you were sort of kind of one of us. I don't know. And sort of, we darted downstairs, didn't we? And then basically, you know, to see where's this trouble, where's this noise coming from. I think it was some guy having a row over his jerk chicken order. You know, say that jerk chicken place opposite has got an amazing journalistic yeah. reviews during lockdown. There was that, so. that great contrast of pictures. There was, a, there was a, the, the sort of like you know, all everyone on the pitch, all traffic, all demonstrating. So, and then there was this picture of the Spurs demonstration, and it was two people busking, wasn't it? <laughs> two people busking outside the stadium. I think the depth of feeling against Daniel Levy for the way that he runs the football club rather than involvement in the ESL. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. But Matt, I do want to move it on to Jose Mourinho. Jose, Jose Mourinho's back in football. Fifteen Love days after that. he lost his last job, but how wonderful did to celebrate and see an amazing multi-million pound contract heading the special ones way. Um, uh, uh, but you know, uh, two things really. Are you surprised to see Jose back so quickly? And then also, who on earth is going to be the next Spurs manager and who should it be? Right. Well, first things first, no, not surprised. The moment he said he was going to might take a bit of a break, that was a fair sign that he's got something lined up. Um, uh, of all the cities to march triumphantly back into, Rome has so many connotations. <laughs> but, you know, actually, I'm the winner here. Look at me. He can almost see the laurels in his hair. Um it, 
It's remarkable. What? No, I think expected Jose, and I, to be honest, I expected it to be Italy because his stock there is still sky high, as I mentioned earlier when he's into Milan. Mm. Then, I mean, he could he did know if nothing wrong in Italian football. Uh, none of the the negativity that's come out elsewhere across the continent it is part of his uh, CV over there. So it's no surprise it's Italy, uh, and in particular Roma, where there's a strong Portuguese influence, um, uh, and uh, you know he's been looked after. Um, and interestingly, not taking over straight away, so avoiding the banana skin of uh, of the game against Manchester United first up. But, um, but no, so he was always going to come back and get another big contract. But if he does query his patch in Italy, there are a few leagues left for him to go to now. So, mm. so this this is the final final test for Jose, I think, um, and whether he is uh, still sort of relevant in the modern game. Um, as to Spurs, where they need to go. Um, Brendan Rodgers, your mate, is 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 a strong. You know that's where they should be going because he understands football. He has managed um, at the highest level in the Premier League, and has perhaps you, you look back on that period at Liverpool differently um, with a different perspective. It didn't quite work at the time, but then he's gone on and done what he's done at Leicester. Uh, which is remarkable. And he's a project manager, which actually Levy needs because the one time, the, the two times he's got it right in his managerial appointments was with Redknapp and uh, with uh, Pochettino, both of whom built a sort of culture in the team. You know, Harry was of his day, and, and you know, but it was entertaining football. It was, you, you knew what you were getting. And then Pochettino effectively was this five-year project. He kept on about it. Mm. And his big problem was they had no made no plans for year six. And uh, so it all unraveled. Rogers would have the same sort of long-term vision uh, of where they'd be. And I think they'd manage it a bit more carefully and it would be operating at a higher level than Pochettino started at. Um, Martinez, I've heard, linked strongly. And I think that would be a popular choice. I quite like the guy. I knew him, worked closely with him at Wigan um, when he was just building his career. Um, and he's worked with some some top players and seems, you know, for as much as everyone queried it because of his Everton spell not being quite so spectacular, you know, he's worked with the world's best players and, uh, and kept them as the world's best players. And a lot depends on on this summer. It could be a real test of his managerial ability. Uh, but I'm not sure he's going to be jumping ship to Spurs before his business in the summer sorted because he's not going to go into the Euro 2020 uh, with, with anyone in Belgium knowing that he's off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to play a patience game. Uh, Nagelsmann would have been a good shout, but he was always pretty much a shoo-in for, for Munich. There aren't that many candidates, but, you know, if you do get it right, as Chelsea have shown with Tuchel, that it can be the game changer. So, you know, those names, I'm just trying to think if there's anyone else I've left out. <laughs> well, I'm going to chuck, chuck three Future names. Man. Three names at the, at the other guys, Matt, if I may. Go on, just, um yeah. And I agree with, you know, Nagelsmann, frankly, if you speak to pe- people in Germany, mm. you know, basically Nagelsmann has been stitched on, you know, f- to, to go elsewhere for a while, basically, by him, obviously. And, and Hansi Flick's going to, to, to the German national job, obviously. Mm. So, you know, I think Nagelsmann was a shout early doors, but basically I think he's actually been going, he's, he's had his head elsewhere for quite some time. So I do think while it's legitimate target stroke story, I don't think that I think they've you know I think that basically they've been barking up the wrong tree, and then basically that therefore has left them short as, as you rightly say of options. 
And I think three names that I think have come across my 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 radar. I'm not saying that basically any of them are, but they're surprising to me. Um, are, are Graham Potter, Scott mm. Parker, mm. and um, Ryan Mason. Yeah. Now, I think right if we were in Germany and and you know the way that they do Germans um, sort of the German progression from managers. I think Graham Potter would easily be stepping up from, I don't know, a, a, you know, from a lower end Bundesliga team to a sort of a, a Dortmund, for example, and, and they would welcome that. I think that would be met with scepticism by Spurs fans. Mm. Guys, as, you know, as those three managers, you know, potentially, you know, are they viable? Are they what Spurs need? Do they need that younger manager? Do they need that younger manager to champion younger players? Well, they, well, it's crossy. In an ideal world, you would love to see somebody like Graham Potter get a, a massive job mm. like that. Yeah, because like it or not, that is a huge step up from Brian to Tottenham. Yeah, but how long would he need to um, integrate himself into the ways of, of a club like that? Because you know he, everything's just on a, such a bigger scale, isn't it? You've got a better mm. standard of player. You've got a massive stadium. You've got more money to spend. You know, uh, it'd it take him two or three years to settle in, maybe. Mm. Um, and you just don't have that time, dear, at a club like Tottenham. They want, they need to win something. They need to be challenging for the top four. It's a massive problem, that, for Levy now, because Kane mm. came out, didn't he, last week and gave an interview, uh, which basically said, you know, we don't win, in, we don't win anything. I want out, basically. I, I mean, you can read between the lines, but that's how I saw it. It's the strongest suggestion from Kane yet that he might he might decide to leave in the summer. If you lose Kane, which manager is going to want that job if his best player and talisman is is jumped ship and gone to City or Barcelona or wherever? So it's a chicken and egg really. But uh, and Kane will probably want to know who who the manager is going to be because that will be so influential on what he finally decides to do. So we're back to pickle, but leave it is in one heck of a pickle. Yeah, absolutely. Just finally, Matt, Matt just because you were on the on the call yesterday, Aubameyang and Arsenal mm. season. Aubameyang speaking, you know, he spoke well, didn't he? As Arsenal captain mm. um, yesterday, very well. admitting admitting his mistakes. You know, very candid about his mother's illness and you know malaria and you know being dropped from that Spurs game. It's a huge, huge few weeks for him. It's even bigger, arguably, few weeks for Mikel Arteta, isn't it? I mean, yeah. The thought of Arsenal being out of European competition for the first time since 95, 96, I mean, it would be devastating for the club, I think. They could be in the Champions League in a couple of weeks' time. I think. Yeah. I like I mean, to see your the, positivity, the, Matt. I like to see... Time, you know me, I always, big, always get behind Arsenal. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, I think you need to... I, I think Arsenal need to really be able to show what Arteta is bringing to the table. It's all this miss. Well, if you're inside the club, you can see these things. Great. I'm, I'm really happy if there's this great culture in the canteen and everyone's holding their knives and forks in the right hand or whatever. You know, whatever's going on inside the club, great. But ultimately, you're the manager to produce results on the pitch. Uh, and Arteta hasn't done that. They're playing against an Emery team uh, going into it in a lower position in the league. They didn't seem to have any direction. Um, you know, and. Aubameyang this season has been a difference. 
And and if he's as good as his word, and his word was very good yesterday, yeah. Then I can't believe he's not going to score a hat trick tonight, and then go and lift and probably drop the cup um, in uh, you know in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and yeah, good luck because he is that good a player at that level um, to do that sort of thing. And, and the way he spoke, kind of we have we have to remember that these are human beings as well, uh, and he has had. You know, a year of it, and as much as everyone's had a year of it, but you know, his was worse. Yeah. I love to see. I love to see players talking. I love to see players talking to actually admitting, mm. you know, their mistakes. Do you know what I mean? It's it should, yeah, there, should, there should be a degree of you know self. That's fine, and but he wasn't using it as an excuse. He was saying that's why it wasn't so good then. But the key thing to me was the fact that he says, now I take responsibility. I'm yeah, the captain. People are looking to me. And if he goes out there with that attitude, then he'll mm. perform. Uh, and that's what you hope to see uh, tonight and, and perhaps in the final. Um, but mm. that, that's the key. He accepts he's not being where he was. He knows why it was. He's explained why it was. But now he knows that, but hang on a sec. I am paying all this money. I am the captain. Now's the time when I have to deliver, and and I'll be doing my best. So yeah, yeah I hope that works out for him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, yeah, his manager will be. That's a stupid thing. He won't suffer. It'll be Arteta. Yeah, because I, Andy, gone. Tell tell me, because I mean, the, the game Villarreal last Thursday was an absolute shambles, wasn't it? I mean, it really was a shambles. I mean, you know, I, I've been so supportive of Arteta. I wanted to see him get the job. I thought he'd be a good appointment. And and this, it, it, just no one's going to fix it overnight. But you have to see some progress, and they've actually gone backwards in, in many ways. So this is it feels like a real seismic game tonight, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it does. Sorry, I just had to, I just have to nip out. Would you believe? I mean, Jeremy will appreciate this. There are goal, there are hailstones the size of golf balls up here up north, lads. I just have to really? nip out. I just had to nip out. I'd realised I left the car window open. So I just have to nip out. <laughs> And there's like these golf balls coming in. I, I, I mean, unbelievable. I came back and Matt was still talking about the golf. What, what would happen? What would happen if I left my car window open and where I live in London? Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're leaving your back door open. Does that still happen up north, is it? <laughs> I thought that was East End where they all did that, mate, of London. But let's go back to Arsenal. But yeah, and listen, it's, it's, it, it is, it's a really big game tonight. It's a really, really big game. You know, I... I and you you do come back from the outside. You come back to the idea that you know for for all Arteta's um, struggles, you know he, he could be he could be ending the season with a trophy in the same way that he ended you know his his last season with a trophy. You know, not not a full season, obviously. So so um, I don't know. I just yeah, I just look at that squad and I think there are some you know players there who are who are. Who can, who can lead Arsenal to a, a sort of new era? You know, you know the likes of Saka, and and I just think maybe there's a there's a couple of good performances in them, and and I actually I actually think they'll do it tonight. I I, th- I think yeah. I think they'll turn it around tonight, um, and then I think you know it will be a really good game between um, in dance against United, who who inevitably will obviously avoid any um, catastrophe tonight in Rome. Yeah. Let's put it into context with Villarreal. One of their best players in the first leg was Juan Foyth, who's injured for the second yes. leg. He wasn't good enough to get near the Spurs team. Exactly. That, that's the level yeah. they're playing against for as much Arsenal's, as... Arsenal's left side made him look like Cafu. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Just Arsenal's tr- left side was an absolute shocker. As good as Pepe was great going forward, 
he offered Xhaka, who, who's never been the quickest, no protection at all. Xhaka at left back got absolutely destroyed. I mean, mm. if, you, if you don't fancy Jacko as a midfielder, take him out of the team. Yeah. Don't play him at left back. <laughs> bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Jacko can't <laughs> play midfield, let alone left back. I know. I mean, you know, he's had his good moments in fairness, Jeremy. He, honestly, Just... I really genuinely believe that. And then basically, but when he has a stinker, he has a stinker. And basically, yeah. I've just not got the left back thing. I've just not got it. You've got to have pace in the modern game to, to play full back. Yeah. And my God, Tierney's got that. And he's a super, super player. But to replace Tierney with Xhaka, I mean, come on, please. Oh, I, know, I actually think that Xhaka actually gets a bit unfair stick because mm. at the times when he's in midfield, that Arsenal are a better team with his solidity. Um, you know, Arte's been a disappointment, really, frankly, hasn't done it, you know, somewhat him in flashes. So maybe it's a game for a few uh, questions to be answered by by players. And, uh, you know, for mm. the sake of an all-English final, let's hope they do it. Great to see. Um, but guys, let's let's finish, uh, please, on a suggestion here. I forgot, she suggested it was, it was a great Andy. idea. On. Andy, Andy, well, oh, he, must have a good one. he must have a no. good one lined up then. Oh, so, lots of good ones in this one lined up. No, no, no. Well, I'll no, tell you what it was. It's, I was trying Come to think on, what, what, why a good time because I was listening to um, a, a radio phone in or a radio, a, a program the other day with Declan Rice on it. And, and um, uh, it was on TalkSport and I think it was, uh, and they were trying to guess what, what Declan Rice's nickname was. Hmm. You know, and they and they um and, and they were coming up with they were trying to come up with like you know innovative nicknames and and it turns out it was uh, it, it, it was Deck or Ricey or something mm. like that you know and and that was given to him by Mace or Manty or something like and and you, you just do think that and it just got me thinking you know whatever happened you know to to the generation that used to give nicknames you know to all players we still don't have any you know and I just thought but well like there was a time growing up. When every player had a nickname, or everyone had a nickname, not just players, and and in Liverpool, for example, you know everyone had a nickname. Everyone had a nickname at school, and everyone had a nickname in the football team, and everyone had a nickname. Like my my father worked on the docks in Liverpool, and the first time he took me down there, literally every single bloke he met would have a nickname. I was walking down the street, and these two blokes were opposite, and they looked like. Well, they look like they were, uh, you know, struggling. And, and my dad just says, itchy, scratchy. And I'm like, itchy, scratchy? Who's that? He said, well, it's itchy, Mick, and scratchy. Joe, they both got fleas. We call them itchy and scratchy. And, I, and then these guys were just like, oh, yeah. I, they used to have a guy. They used to have a guy who was in charge of the crane. And the crane, as you know, goes down to the container. It's called a guy rope. And he was at the top of the crane. And they used to call him the lenient. So I said, what do you call him lenient for? And he says, all he ever says is let that guy go. Would you call him the lenient judge? And, and he, would, he would answer this name having a pint. <laughs> and all the footballers had nicknames. You know, growing up in, in, in watching Liverpool and Everton, you know, we used to call, I mean, at Goodison, um, obviously, Earl Barrett, if you remember Earl Barrett, a great yeah. fullback who, who, who was distinguished for Everton. But we used to call him the fireman because everything he touched went out. And, that, and that's what he became known as. Stuart Barlow was Jigsaw because he goes to pieces in the box. I mean, but I think we've all had a few strikers <laughs> like that. But people had nicknames going back to Liverpool in the in the 60s and 70s. You know, you remember Tommy Lawrence, their goalkeeper. You, you know, it was the flying pig. Um, Chris Lawler, who was a fullback, you know, he used to sort of like glide up. He was known as Slippers. And they all had nicknames. And I'm sure that was the same. You know, we, we, we've sadly said farewell to... 
you know, a lot of players from that generation, you know, from all clubs recently. And and generally when, you know, you you, uh, you were reflecting on their careers, they all had nicknames. We just don't seem to have too many clever ones anymore, do we? I mean, what was, do you remember sat there in in um, in Russia, um, in Repino and... Maguire. And Maguire, and it soon became Love apparent. It. it was because Vardy was walking past, wasn't it? And, and, and Vardy said... Slabbed. All right, Slabbed. And then we all sort of picked this... Slabbed, slabbed, like you know, and that was, and that was, um, and that was, and it's a, it's a, it's a nickname that sort of, that it, you know, it catches your attention, but it's, it's not, it's not overly sort of like, you know, overly ingenious, is it? it? But no, do you remember, no. Crossy? The thing is, as well, I remember whatever tournament we were at, and it became a big story. I'm, I'm not sure if it was your story or not, but it was a big story when we first found out that Wayne Rooney was known as Was It. Yeah. That was a yeah, major story yeah, yeah, at some yeah, tournament yeah, we were at. Yeah, yeah, it it was, made the yeah, front page. Yeah. They call him. Was it, it was his. It was his. Yeah, it was the Euros, um, wasn't it? Euros I mean, two thousand and four. It, it was, it? and that was a big, big story that Wayne yeah. Rooney was called Wazza. You know, I mean, it wasn't yeah. quite Beckham being called Bex, but Wayne Rooney was, was called Wazza. And we don't get those ingenious nicknames anymore. We had Fitz Hall, obviously, he was known as One Size. Well, I was going to say, I love that. That's I mean, One Size is a. But anyway, let's let's have One Size. But but you know, and we just don't get them anymore. I mean, is, is there no. any anywhere where you think, well, oh, that's clever? No. Well, let's look to the other guy, two guys to serve them up. Come on. Yes. Well, Johnny's <laughs> made the point that basically yeah. we're living in a different era now, don't we? So everyone's nickname is Mounty or mm. Righty or whatever. But the one that made me laugh was how when – Chris Smalling was called Mike Smalling oh, by Louis van Gaal on a TV interview. Or it was at a press conference. He called him Mike about three times. All right, who's he on about? Mike who? And he just was absolutely oblivious to the fact that he'd got his central defender's first name wrong. And for, yeah. he was then known as just Mike. He was back yeah, last, last week, actually, for Roma, and he could hear sarcastic <laughs> shouts of Mike from certain, yeah. certain players. Yeah. But that's, no, that was amusing. Yeah, it's fancy calls of, of Dave last night as well with Chelsea with uh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. not bad, is it? Yeah, if yeah. you bring that up, but, yeah. yeah, rugby league won that battle over the clever one, didn't they? With um, Chariots of Fire, wasn't it? So, yeah, yes, spotted that one, but uh, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I must say, there's certain nicknames that I really dislike, and I dislike them when they're, 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 they're written as much as anything, but there's tendency now to call. You know, and I've fallen into it. I've, I've waved the white flag of surrender, frankly, because, you know, I keep on having sort of kind of coffee chains and all that sort of stuff. But the notion that we would call, you know, England the Three Lions oh. and the, <laughs> the Three Lions boss, Gareth Southgate. I mean, yeah. what? Who, who, who would possibly say that? Who would say that? No one. Answer nobody. No one. And it's doing it like Charlton. I always remember Charlton. You know, if, you know, seeing it written, addicts boss Alan Kerbish. Yeah, yeah. Charm fans, you know, it's not. They're going, what? What are you going on about? You know, it's just, it's just, it's a club yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, but it's not. You, you never write the gunners there, Crossley. Yeah, that's yeah. Good point, Jeremy. Sorry, do you never write the gunners? Yeah, again, I, I've fallen into <laughs> that thing because basically, I give up. Because basically, if you don't, it gets changed anyway. So I often write gunners, 
Boft <laughs> or whatever. I, I just, you know, it's ridiculous. If you think about it, it's Spurs. Is you know, yeah, yeah. Spurs is the nickname really? Yeah, it was hot top and Hotspur, yes. isn't it? But it's, it's, hey, it's yeah. Crossy, let, weird, let's let's not let's not get on to cop boss, eh? You're good. Oh. <laughs> right, but anyway, we're going we're going, those, we're, we're going yeah, more into our business here. But I, I I totally agree with you what you say about addicts. And first of all, the three lions, the three lions mm. thing. You know what? That's promoted and generated by the FA. Mm. That, yeah, that, 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 that's what it is. It's a commercial thing. Let's face it. Like, like, you know, yeah. that is a, a copyright commercial branding yeah. thing, as you were. It's like when teams change a badge. You know, all of a sudden, you know, three lions. This three lions. Didn't Bradley and Skinner start that though? Sorry, who are three lines on the shirt? Yeah, they, 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 yeah, well, they started with with the, uh, the shop, and, and then and the FA picked up in that, and I'm, I'm, and it's, be, it's become a badge. You know, you you get you know you'll get official releases from the FA and, and official social media posts saying you know yeah, yeah. three lines this three. Well, Going back to addicts, boss. The, the difference between gunners and addicts is is that I've never met a Charlton fan who's got, who, who will refer to them as that. But then that also goes back on the nickname, broadening the nickname things out. You know, is that is it you know there was a time when all the teams had nicknames you know mm. and they were maybe half used but of course they're not just they're not anymore commercially viable are they so so you know so I mean what would um, not saying the toffees I, is commercially viable doesn't he well toffees has sort of made a bit of a comeback you know I mean amongst fans that that has made a, a, a bit it. of a a bit of a comeback you know there was a time when. You thought, well, no one calls toffees the toffee men or the toffees. But then it made a bit of a comeback. And as on social media now, you, you will get UTT up the toffees and you, you will sort of, that has made a little bit of a comeback. But it's an old-fashioned nickname. I, I mean, I heard someone refer to, you know, Wick and Wonders as the chair boys, you know, the other day. Now, mm. I'm sure you know, they are. I mean, you know, but only in the same way that, say, I don't know, what other old-fashioned nicknames were. Yeah, I mean, mm. yeah, they are a bit, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah I, like, I like Posh. Peterborough, Posh, the Royals. Yeah, but they were calling Reading the Royals as well. Yeah. Yeah, the Hatters in the same sort of bracket as the chair boys, isn't it? Who were the biscuit men? Lincoln, I assume. Now, well, I mean, well. biscuit, to be fair, don't you? But anyway, but yeah, but listen, in terms of players, we, we're just, you, you know, I, I, again, I am just trying to desperately think of, 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 of any, of any, you know, when I think, well, what a great nickname that is for the player and, and, he's, and he's universally yeah. called that. I'm sure there. I'm sure there must be out there. Or there's there's so. a famous story, isn't there, from the northeast, bemoaning the lack of nicknames when uh, Sholia Amiobi first broke through on the mm. scene at Newcastle, and they said, "Got a name like that? You must have a nickname." And he said, um, "No, no, they're just what do the players call you?" He says, "Shola," and he says, "Oh, well, what does Bobby Robson call you?" He says, "Carl Court." Carl Court, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good anyway. War Shola, but there you go. But the yeah, but as you say, that was another nickname, wasn't it? But anyway, as but as we head into the Euros, yeah. Sorry, Joe. But as we head into Euros, we've still only really got. I'm trying to go through the England team now, but there is still only. I think Slabhead is 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 someone who's not referred to other than by his um by his actual by his actual name, is it? No, we'll have to make it our business to try and find out one that's a bit... Well, you haven't got one. You haven't got one, have you? you know? Quirky, yeah. But, you know, yeah, they're, but they're, easy, they're, they're normally easily done. Good. You just have me to it enough. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you know... know. Yeah. Anyway, a dying breed, a dying breed. I mean, we have general nicknames, don't we? Just, just, uh, Sorry? We don't want to go on too long, but we have, we have nicknames for colleagues, don't we? 
Nick oh, yes. 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 Oh, yes. Quick sample. Yes. Oh. I'd rather well, not. I, I can think I can think of one that always amuses me when I basically wasn't wasn't the most complimentary. But when I saw when I saw this particular person walking across the street in, in Asia on his preseason tour, I bellowed out, and it, <laughs> he wouldn't have. I've forgotten where I was. Basically, not one that you'd call it to his face. And sure enough, you know. And basically, you heard me. They're all straight across in answer to, yeah, not yeah. the most complimentary nickname, but I really can't say it. Anyway. No, no, that's not to say. I, I won't mention yeah. the joiner, the chap, the chap I call the joiner because he gets halfway down his pipe and then goes and joins another round. Yeah, well, I know. There's a, I mean, I mean uh, yeah, the, the great Charlie Sale, basically, uh, a few nicknames for, for various people. My favorite one, probably. Charlie was two dinners. Charlie was two dinners after two he Two dinners at his, one point, yes, for yeah, obvious reasons. They, they served up his and Alan Smith. Um, yes. It's sort of kind of, a, sort we of a joint dinner. And basically, yeah, they're supposed to share it out amongst themselves and Charlie ate, ate both portions. But no, the one that he, he famously, unfortunately, you know, so I better not say because no, the journalist is no longer with us, but famously uh, uh, nickname was Crime. Uh, crime yes. Never Pays. Brilliant, but really, really stupid, really. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. My, 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 my. Yeah, I don't think anyone has enough nicknames between between me and Charlie as as my great friend Charlie White. But um, you know, count you know, choose Mm. choose anyone about seven different options. But anyway, guys, I'd you know we could talk about nicknames all day and have a good laugh. But there you go. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much everyone for watching, and we'll be back. Same time, same place. I'm sure there'll be so much more to talk about after another incredible week. Thanks for joining.